Perfect. Hi, Mary. Thank you so Hi. much for being here with us today at Chattermill uh, in our new like CX interview series, uh, the CX Spotlight Show. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, just want to thank you for your time uh, and attention to cover some questions with us, like for our audience, for our professional audience who are going through tough challenges and they need some uh, pro advice on how to handle mm -hmm. like the difficult times today as well as like uh, the young people in the industry who are trying to break in and um, as well, like facing a lot of obstacles nowadays. Um, so yeah. Well, Joel, I'm going to start off by saying thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure and always a joy to be able to come on and, and share a little bit of the knowledge that I've accumulated over the years. So I'm really happy to be here and I hope that uh, I can offer at least a little bit of insight into some of the struggles that people have been facing and um, that, that my advice will somehow resonate um, with uh, the listeners on your show. So thank you so much. 100%, definitely. Well, let's, not, let's start with the big question straight away. Let's not hold <laughs> anything back. Uh, what does customer centricity mean to you? It's like, uh, it's a loaded concept. It's very ambiguous uh, a lot mm -hmm. of the times. Everyone has a different definition. And we find it fascinating to understand how the, the, the experts in the industry think about this concept. Uh, so yeah, what does it mean to you? It is interesting that everybody kind of has their own interpretation, but I think that that's because the market is so different around the globe. And when, when you look at it, it's really hard to give a solid, like single definition. You know, the, the, the Customer Experience Professional Association, CXPA, they have created like some specific standards as to what customer experience and customer centricity is. But I, I truly believe that the reason there is, there's so much not conflict, but so many different versions, so many different explanations as to what it is, is truly because um, it's a reflection of everyone's particular markets and the specific needs and the specific um, struggles and barriers that we go through in our specific industries. So for me, it means putting the customer first or, or literally in the center of everything that you do. But that has several nuances. You know, you can look at it as a whole, like you can look at the whole customer journey from beginning to end or the loop of it because it never does really end. You can look at the experience as a specific moment, but I don't necessarily agree with that. I feel that the experience is very strongly related to the overall perception that customers have with any interactions of your brand. So whether it's in pre-purchase or during the purchase, throughout their lifespan or even post-purchase or once their direct relationship with you is done, there are still ways that you're interacting with that customer and they're still perceiving the movement that your brand is putting out there. So it really has to do with the perception. It has to do with the feelings that are created from um, how they see and interpret what you're putting out there, whether it's through your actions or through your message or through anything else. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's something that never ends. Uh, and yeah, and it brings us back to the next question, which is like the hardship of actually building this customer-centric culture, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like how does a company go about it? Uh, first building and then maintaining that and hopefully scaling that, uh, uh, well, throughout the years, which uh, are like three different challenges, obviously. But yeah, it's like the three cycles that you need to build, like something that actually has an impact. Yeah. Well, you know, I am not an expert in 
creating or implementing customer experience programs in organizations. There are close friends of mine who are. Um, I would strongly recommend looking into material and blog in the books of Annette Franz. Annette Franz runs a company called CX Journey, and she is worked for 20 years in this industry, and she has it all figured out. So, you know, right there, that's my number one suggestion. Go check out Annette Franz's material. Of course, there are several brilliant minds out there, but I, I'm really, I've got a, a certain attachment towards her stuff because she is able to look at things not only from the angle of customer experience, but employee experience as well, which is all part, it composes the entire um, experience. Because if you think about it, employees are also somewhat customers of an organization, right? So in, including that variable in there. But I would say um, that one of the first steps that an organization has to do is understand and map out their customer journey. And Ian Golding, who's based in the UK, is a brilliant consultant who is really well known for building customer journey maps inside organizations. He's got a book called Customer What? And that book is a blueprint to creating and mapping out your customer's journey. And that is probably the starting point for me, is as an organization getting together to understand everything your customer goes through from pre-purchase all the way into that post-purchase stage when their interactions with you supposedly end. Um, and taking that path of empathy where you're truly walking in your customer's shoes, but not only from an inside out perspective where you're sitting there which a bunch, with a bunch of internal executives or internal minds um, doing your best to be empathetic. The truth is that nobody has a better understanding of their journey than the customer itself. So bringing the customer in and including the customer in that journey mapping is a really, really important step. So I would suggest that when mapping out your customer journey, you do your best to create a rough draft, but then bring your customer in, whether it's through a qualitative interview where you sit down and ask them one-on-one -on -one questions, or if you don't have the option of bringing your customer in, then sending them a survey to try to understand what their pains are in each stage and each interaction and each touch point because lots of times as a company we've got our own biases of we created those experiences we created those touch points and we think we're doing really well and we end up being extremely blind towards certain aspects of the experience that only the customer knows and if you're a global company you're gonna to have to do separate journey maps for each separate geography, each separate culture, because this changes. The way the customer interacts with you depends a lot on what they go through and what their personal life is. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that leads me to step two, which is designing your personas. You have to have your personas mapped out regardless to build your journey. So you might, you might want to do those two steps together. Build your personas, understand who your customer is, what their pains are, what their goals are. Most importantly, what their needs are. Because as an organization, if you want to sell to a customer, then you have to be able to provide the solution to their need. Any purchase journey starts with need. 
And that is an excellent starting point, understanding what that need is and all of the issues that surround the customer's needs and creates their reality is a really important activity to, for an organization to do. So creating the personas, designing the journey. Once you've designed the journey, you understand all of those pains, you then, that's a perfect moment to bring in a, either a really good consultant or if you don't have that option in your organization, do a lot of studying into different ways to design your customer's time. Um, and creating experiences that cause a positive emotional connection with whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's selling a product or providing them with a service. Um, there's so much to get into. It's, <laughs> Such it, there are so many different aspects of it, but designing time is a really important concept in customer experience that we can get into in a, in a moment. But understanding what sort of per, like services you provide to your customer, whether they are services of um, Joe Pine is another author out there, and he wrote a book like twenty some years ago now. Um, called the experience economy and this was one of the first things that introduced the concept of customer experience mm -hmm, and one definitely. of the things that he explores is being able to understand whether you're providing a time well saved service or a time well spent so just to break that down for a second and kind of give the listeners a, a, a deeper understanding of what that means mm -hmm. when you are a time well saved organization your job is to make sure your customer is going through their experience as quick and as effortlessly as possible in order to gain back valuable time that they can then use doing the things that they love. So, you know, think of Amazon that makes it as easy as possible for you to get in and get out. What you create is an absolutely predictable experience where the customer puts the least amount of effort and the least amount of time and they gain the most benefit in return right? Absolutely. There, Absolutely. there are several companies out there that have this model. And once you understand it really well, you understand that it's not necessary to be delighting your customers at every turn. Mm -hmm. what, they're, what your customers are looking for is a predictable and effortless experience. 100%. Now, if, if, if you are in the industry of time well spent, then what happens is your job becomes actually slowing down time because you're providing people with memories you're a memory builder and this is especially true for the hospitality industry or mm -hmm. any industry that works in entertaining or events or anything that people do for for leisure for fun for remember how we were saving time in the other one so we could do it you know spent save that time to do the things that we like so That's, this is the things that we yeah. like <laughs> this is, you know, going out with our significant other to a nice restaurant. This is taking our family to an amusement park. This is going away on the vacation of your dreams. And in, when you're in that industry, then you have to understand that your job is to create memories that people carry with them for the rest of their lives. And then it's crucial that you design that experience in a way that you're constantly having people um, 
how, how can I even say this? Like create or foster positive memories, you know? 100%. And yep. then we can get into like all these different psychological heuristics and, and understand how we can, how we can design the experience so that there's peak memorable moments or understanding how if you create a wonderful experience towards the end of that, that of their journey, then you're positively shaping the entire thing. Um, there are multiple ways of designing this time so that you're creating memories. And I would recommend to anybody who works in CX that they read the book, Thinking Fast and Slow oh, by Daniel mm -hmm. Kahneman and Definitely. understanding the concept of the peak end rule. Um, to really get a deep understanding of human behavior and how we can shape that by designing time. So I know I said a lot and I know that I recommended like three books in the middle. You might want to add that to your, to the side notes of your show later. Um, <laughs> the truth is that most of my um, CX career has been in speaking to people and learning from other individuals. So if most of my time is spent recommending new material and new people to get to know and, and to listen to, that's why. <laughs> yeah, well, we've realized that like the CX people in general, the top players in the space, they're very, they're avid readers. Uh, and I'll just add one here, like since we're recommending books, there's one called The Mom Test, which is fascinating. Yeah, it's about customer interviews and how mm. should you like probe to understand their customer needs. And I think it's fascinating. It goes really in line with what you just said, Mary. I think it's fantastic. And I think there is this trend now of the most successful companies integrating their customer in this design process mm -hmm. and not like doing the design first and then testing, doing that user testing with customers, mm -hmm. which I think can delay things, right? You, sure. You're not necessarily building for them, right? Which is fascinating. And uh, I love the heuristics of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the experience economy and everything and how you that's the best way to start designing your customer centric culture I think from a start mm -hmm. it's a great uh, great starting point mm -hmm. which brings to uh, a next question which is like what are the issues uh, when when building using these frameworks these heuristics uh, are, are the issues in building and maintaining a customer centric culture internal like within the, uh, the organization itself or external externally via the customers themselves, like getting the, the necessary insights to build that mm -hmm. uh, customer-centric culture the right way. I know where you're going with this, and um, I, I'm happy <laughs> <laughs> to participate in this. I think that there are two things that you have to take into consideration. You will always have internal obstacles. Um, and, and being in CX means that you're gonna have to constantly be champion, the, the champion of the customer inside your organization. That's what your job is. Right. And if you are, if you have that job in the first place, it's because at some moment the company understood the importance of having someone in that role. So you, you have to lean into it. Um, I don't think that in this day and age, companies are going to be like, oh, let's shut down our customer experience because that's not important anymore. I don't really think that's the case. So if you've been given a customer experience role inside an organization, then the company knows that you're important. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. That doesn't mean you're not going to have to fight for it. And it doesn't mean that at times the company isn't going to make decisions that aren't going to make you or the customer happy. Right. But, um, there are, there are ways of providing your executive leadership with valuable insight 
about how the customer truly is the most important way to bring in new revenue and bring in more profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that the most important way to do that is to, to kick off what I call customer experience 2.0, which is a, a more actionable version of customer experience than, than previously um, was in existence. For, for a long time, um, customer experience professionals were fighting so hard to just get the customer to be noticed by the organization, um, much less funding important customer experience projects, right? I believe that when we are conducting the right type of voice of customer programs, bringing in the right type of feedback directly from our customer's mouth and being able to properly process that information in the right way, that will arm us with the tools necessary in order to fight for projects and programs that make our customers happy. What we can't do any longer is have voice of customer uh, surveys and programs that all they do is get empty information that we already have or simply present the organization with an empty number. I consider that to be a big mistake. There are a lot of organizations out there that are guilty of their entire customer experience program boiling down to a number. And they end up disregarding the most important moment of the voice of customer survey, which is the feedback itself. And that ends up happening because it's difficult to process feedback. It's difficult to be able to uh, find actionable information in that sea of customer data. Uh, Luckily, there's good technology out there nowadays that's able to provide companies with a way to filter that information, whether it's through natural language processing or some really cool artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms that are able to filter down. Um, My company, Worthix, um, is able to extract impact, which is probably the most important feature in any feedback that you can gather. So what we do is provide the organization, not only with frequency, hey, your customers are complaining about X all the time. The truth is that lots of times what customers complain about the most isn't actually what'll positively or affect or negatively affect their decision to continue purchasing from you or not. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we exist as an organization to tell companies whether or not the product or service they're providing their customers is worth it. Right. So that's what we measure with our worth index. And we've got all these cool algorithms that are able to measure not only which feedback the customers have from you, Mm -hmm. but how each experience is truly shaping their decision to buy from you or not. So what that does is it attaches a monetary value to the experience. And I think, Joan, that that's one of the most important things that a customer experience professional can do right now is be able to report to their executive board or to their board of investors or to their shareholders, hey, this is actually costing us money and here's the amount right here. And if we're able to sway this experience so that it's positive, this will result in this much more money for our organization. Or, hey, what we're doing right here, even though it seems like something that makes sense for the company, it's actually costing us this much in churn 
customers that will no longer have recurring purchases with us because this experience sucks. Absolutely. So being able to create that tangibility of, hey, customer, positive customer experience equals more money and being able to prove that to the decision makers in your organization nowadays is crucial. And there is no CX program that will survive without that. 100%. I find it so interesting, this angle that you took of playing defense, right? Before you play offense, before focusing on growing your top line growth via a CX tool or via a CX program, protecting your company and making it more efficient using CX. That is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of companies are, uh, are in need of that, especially today, like you said. Uh, and it brings us back to the question, well, it brings us to the question about tools, which mm -hmm. is not always the easiest thing to deal with, right? To find mm -hmm. the right tools to cover the problems that we're having, uh, how to look at them, how to filter through them. There's so many out there. How do you think about that, that search and that uh, selection process for, for CX professionals? I think that there are a lot of really great tools out there countless of them. And, and there are tools that focus on specific moments of the customer's journey or specific touch points. Um, for example, customer service or companies that have uh, e-commerce or something like that, where they're able to reach out and uh, communicate with their customers during the interaction. That's a really important moment. And being able to filter all that information and that data properly in order to gain insight on what the struggles are or what the pains are in real time as they're happening is really, really valuable. So there's tons of really, really cool technology that does that. There's also really cool stuff built, built for customer service centers like call centers mm -hmm. where um, customer service reps on the phone are equipped with tools to properly filter information and have them scale up to the right individuals so i think that like the most important thing to understand first of all is your touch points the touch points that you have how can you engage your customers meet them where they are so that they have the least amount of effort giving their feedback to you so one thing that happens really really often is that uh, companies end up doing a lot of email surveys that are really, really, really time consuming, really, really, really high effort. And a lot of people have survey fatigue where they're just traumatized from giving survey responses and getting absolutely nothing back. So mm -hmm. they just don't do them anymore, right? And the truth is the people that do actually understand the importance of surveys and they follow through with that survey experience to try to give their feedback and try to get the company to improve on their processes, they end up encountering surveys that are 20, 30 questions long. I've heard of surveys that take almost two hours to complete. We can't yep. do that to customers. You know, when customers decide to give us the gift of feedback because it is a gift there's no way that we look can, can look at it otherwise we have to be able to be as respectful as possible with that gift by not only taking up the least amount of time um, but also extracting the most amount of information in that transaction so we don't have to keep hitting up customers again and again and again to give us their opinion Absolutely. like put yourself in the customer's shoes 
as customers, we encounter this situation all the time. Do you answer surveys, Joel? Like very, yeah, very rarely. Now, understanding the value that it brings to companies, uh, it became you. You develop that empathy for right. for that mechanism. Absolutely. And do you but, feel sometimes that when you agree, you get punished for it by having to go through a really, really bad survey? A hundred percent. And you start to respect the companies that do it right way more. Uh, the yeah. companies that are selective, that are concise. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the point of feedback as a gift. I think there isn't a yeah. better way to describe it. Yeah. Right. So being able to not only be respectful of time, but in that least amount of time, extract the most amount of insight is really, really important. Absolutely. And then once you have that insight, make sure you use it. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's nothing more frustrating than giving feedback and then not having the experience <laughs> change at all. You know, so true. So, and, and it, it is wasteful. It's not good for anybody because it's expensive to conduct surveys. It's not cheap. Yep. And then you got all that information and you're absolutely sitting on it but you can't really find anything that's actionable enough to be able to scale up to leadership, to be able to build some sort of strategy on, then, then you just wasted all of that feedback. So be intentional about the feedback that you're collecting. Um, make sure that when you ask customers for their feedback, whether it's in the middle of the transaction, whether it's post-transaction, whether it's you know, in the touch points along the way, that you're concise, you're precise, you're respectful of time. And once you collect that insight, make sure you're gonna do something about it and you're gonna use it to build a better strategy for your customers. Um, I think that all of those things are really important. So when companies out there are considering tools, make sure you're hiring a tool that'll allow you to do these things mm -hmm. and not just give you a whole bunch of empty feedback that's gonna be an endless Excel sheet that you're never gonna read and you're never going to get to any impact and you're never going to be able to build any strategy on it because all you'll have that'll be simple and actionable is an empty number. So 100%. make sure yeah. you, 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 you get some technology that's actually um, worth the effort that you're putting your customers through. Absolutely. Yeah. There are countless companies there with like dozens of spreadsheets, sea of data, like you said. And if you can't make, make use of that and actually craft a strategy out of that and the story that you need internally to make that strategy grow it's pointless absolutely i couldn't agree more uh in that sense how how else do you feel uh in terms of tools and like the the cx operative as well the cx professional as a tool as well how can um you integrate the customer into that strategy even more uh apart from surveys and everything how else can you uh, make the customer part of this company strategy, this long-term strategy that the company is crafting for the customer itself. Mm -hmm. Well, earlier on when we were speaking about like personas and, and uh, customer journey mapping, yep. we talked about bringing the customer in um, to partake in this with you. There are a lot of tech companies, especially apps and um, you know mobile apps that bring the customer in very, very early on. Mm -hmm. um, another recommendation that I would say, and this, you know, goes very much to the, to the area of uh, user experience, um, creating a minimum viable product, whether it's for your application or whether it's for your product or for your services, 
Um, starting with something that's more elementary and building alongside the customer to begin with. So I, I think that it's a genius concept. And, you know, since Worthix is a startup and we've been through several, you know, acceleration programs and all that, something that you learn really early on and it's very popular in tech because mm -hmm. not only is it cheaper, it's also a lot more intelligent to, to mold your product as you gain feedback. So uh, if you're lucky enough to have a product that has early traction, mm -hmm. um, make sure that you provide that customer with a way to interact very closely with you early on and build their feedback into your product or service. So um, finding out which angles actually provoke the biggest, let's say, um, impact again, um, to that customer, whether it's B2B or B2C. Um, it's actually in this case, I think that if you have a B2B product, it ends up being even better because the person on the other side is interested on you, you know, in your service improving. So when you build alongside them, that means that you're creating a product that's almost tailored to their needs. Right. 100%. Absolutely. So I, I think that that's a really good method, especially for technology companies. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's tremendous insight for our, for our audience. Thank you so much, Mary. Uh, now just moving towards uh, like getting more personal and understanding uh, you as a professional. Uh, it'll be lovely to, to talk about like your learning process and mm -hmm. uh, how you keep ahead of the curve, how you keep yourself um, always evolving. Uh, so what's, uh, you mentioned a few of the books that you love and that you recommend. Mm -hmm. Are there other books like both uh, that are CX oriented and not CX oriented and podcasts mm -hmm. and stuff? Which of these yeah. like have you recommended to people the most? Like what other types of books have you gifted the most or? Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm really fascinated with like uh, cognitive behavior, consumer mm -hmm. behavior, anything that has to do with the psychological aspect of marketing is mm -hmm fascinating to me so a book that i find absolutely amazing is uh predictably irrational or is it predictable irrationality it's either that or the, it's, it's daniel Ariely, and daniel Ariely is a professor of psychology who wrote an amazing book about understanding customer behavior or human behavior and how that applies to the everyday life of uh, consumers and, and that marketing angle and then another book is called Drive by Daniel H. Pink. Now, I love Dan Pink. I've seen him speak on multiple occasions. Um, and Drive is an excellent book. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And I recommend it a hundred times. Um, another book that's uh, essentially <laughs> for a long time. Paul's book, Hooked. Um, now, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently over the, the issues with extremely um, addictive technology Definitely. and how we can curb that. So Nirial wrote Hooked a couple years ago, and then he followed it up with a second book called Indistractable, which was a way for uh, users to hone addictive technology. So instead of having the technology controlling you, how to flip that game. Um, so both of those books, I would say, are really interesting. Hooked and then Indistractable. 
um, by Nir Eyal. So I don't normally, like, I always read CX books because it's part of my field. Mm-hmm. But what I end up recommending the most is, is truly books that go into that marketing uh, psychology um, field. But when it comes to customer experience, Ian Golding's book, Customer What?, was probably the most useful books that I've used because it really is a blueprint. And I have a soft spot for books that say, step one, do this, (laughs) step two, do that. Because it's it's really easy. It becomes a guide, right? So instead of having to interpret things, it just gives you a roadmap um, for you to implement. And if you're going to blindly implement anyone's strategy, then I strongly suggest that it be Ian Golding's because the man is brilliant. Um, But there are a lot of other books out there. A Mapping Experiences is another great book. Um, I mean, there are so many. I I have uh, on the Worthix blog, we have um, my personal reading list that I recommend to the readers of the blog. So you can go on there and get that. That's uh, Worthix blog. So it's uh, blog.worthix.com. And you can look for book lists and it'll have all of my recommendations. Now, when it comes to podcasts, being a podcaster myself, um, I, I recommend for people who have the, the, the ability to, to learn through listening, you know, that's something that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. And for people who have time to listen, you know, some people prefer to take their free time and sit down with a book. Other people a million times over prefer to multitask and listen while they're performing another almost, you know, mundane task. Like for example, on the treadmill or walking your dog or when you're driving and podcasts and eBooks end up being really interesting um, for that, especially. Um, Now I I always recommend Dan Gingas's podcast, um, the experience, this podcast, because what he does on there, he, he hosts it with uh, Joey Coleman and what they do is they try to give a really positive, they show the positive aspect of customer experience. And I think that's really great. Um, Jeannie Walters also has a podcast with Adam Toporek um, that I think is absolutely genius. Jeannie Walters, for me, is, is one of the most brilliant women in customer experience. I adore her and the insights that she has into the customer mind. And she's got so much experience and so many resources working in her favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another person in customer experience that tends to be really popular and has a really great podcast and is extremely accessible is Jean Bliss. And I think that her podcast has something to do with tape, um, like the customer tape. I, don't, I, I forget the name, but I listen mm-hmm. to it all the time. And what she does on her show is she invites uh, customer experience officers and people who work as CX leaders onto her show to talk about what they're doing. So what you get is a really hands-on practitioner angle of how people are practicing customer experience in their organization. And for me, that is absolutely brilliant because listening to thought leaders and authors is one thing where you get that almost... um, declared knowledge on the subject but getting the practical knowledge of people who are in the trenches and having to deal with it every day and the struggles and the pains and the things that they overcome 
is essential to anyone working in customer experience. So in that regard, I would absolutely recommend Jean Bliss. Since, since she's such a uh, CX badass, she's able to get like the best executives in the world <laughs> on her podcast. So yeah, strong Definitely. recommendation right there. Oh, awesome. Oh, that was so complete. Thank you so much, Mary. Yeah, <laughs> it was literally a whole uh, arsenal for, for yeah. CX professionals to like, understand the concept, apply the concepts. Absolutely. Like, fantastic. Um, yeah, and now we want to learn more about Mary as well, like how you ended up where you are today. Uh, what's, what's piqued the, your interest in CX? What were the key inflection points in your career until now? Mm -hmm. And just for our younger audience to understand uh, how you uh, uh, evolved into the industry and how they can also maybe resonate and, and help them uh, through difficult times that they must be, yeah. they must be facing. Well, you know what? My, my career actually started off in teaching. I was a teacher for 10 years. I started off when I was still in school and I ended up um, starting a business. Um, I was an ESOL teacher for a really long time. And one of the things that being a teacher gives you is a lot of empathy. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of forces you to put yourself in the learner's shoe who's opposite to you in that moment and, and, and try to meet them where they're at with their needs and their frustrations, especially in something like learning a second language that really um, triggers a lot of insecurities and other aspects of the human psyche that are really challenging. You know, some mm -hmm. people really struggle learning a second language. Um, so I think that was a really good start in a career of being empathetic. Um, when I moved into marketing, I really had to dive headfirst into customer experience because I wasn't supposed to be in customer experience at all. Mm -hmm. um, it ended up, you know, I tell people this story and, it, and it's curious because until this day, I still don't consider myself a CX expert. I, I consider myself um, a, a really good speaker in the sense of I ask the right questions mm -hmm. and I ask the right questions because I do my research. So what started off as a marketing hack, because it absolutely was, it was a marketing hack. We decided to make a podcast <laughs> and in order to make a podcast, we had to have some people on the show. We had to have CX professionals on there. So I started knocking on doors and randomly asking people if they could come on the show. And surprisingly, they said yes. And then once they said yes, I was committed. And I was like, oh shit, now, now I have this person coming on my podcast and I don't know what to do. How do I ask the right questions? And the only way to write, ask the right questions, I think, was to read all of their material, watch all their talks, and, and do as much research as I could in order to extract the right questions, the questions that I thought my listeners would want and need to hear. So yep. again, it was an exercise in empathy because it, in this case, I wasn't empathizing with the customers, I was empathizing with the listeners. And to do so, I also had to empathize with my guests mm -hmm. and understand which topics would make them feel not only the most uh, comfortable, but and giving them a platform to share their message with the world out there. Um, so what ended up happening is every time I had a new guest, I had to study and research more. And ultimately, after a while, I was like, 
damn, I, I know a lot about this subject. And I knew so much about the subject that I started expanding into other overlapping areas because I wanted to understand more about what shaped the human behavior throughout the experience to begin with. Um, so the year that I started the podcast, I read 50 books in a single year. Oh, wow. And mm -hmm. I, I, it was sheer survival. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I didn't read that, I felt like I was going to fail, you know? Yeah. So I, it really was about trying to be the best so that I could value the time that my guests were giving me, asking mm -hmm. the right questions, and honoring the time that the listeners were giving me as well to be able to give them actionable information and have them end their the listening period with new knowledge. And I, I, I think that I was able to do that because we're six seasons in and we keep growing every day. And sometimes I'll have random people that I've never met in my life saying, Mary, your podcast is absolutely amazing. And so it's, it's really satisfying that the hard work that was put into it, and it wasn't even the hard work of um, editing or you know producing the podcast. It was yep. about feeling equipped to have the person on there and provide a platform that could actually translate that knowledge into a learning experience for the listeners. 100%. It's very similar to the, the idea of the survey with, that we were talking about and just making sure you're precise, making sure that their time yeah. is being used efficiently. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that's a customer-centric mentality, but definitely. Um, if, you, if you're thinking of the guests such, uh, on your podcast as your customers, if you're thinking about the listeners of your podcast as your customers, if you think of the <laughs> readers of your blog and you're putting yourself in their shoes and you're able to translate whatever it is that you're doing into their reality and <laughs> be able to, to feature a little bit of everything for everyone out there and really do it from a selfless perspective where it's, it's not about you, it's about what they're extracting from that experience then that it really does uh, end up being really similar to the surveys and everything that we do in customer experience where we're trying to think of the customer first. Definitely. And it's a huge lesson for us. Like uh, I learned so much right now with you, uh, definitely. And I'm sure you, you went through this process countless times. Wow, it's, yeah. uh, it's a masterclass uh, just in itself. <laughs> um, well, there's so a lot of rambling, Joao, I'm gonna be honest. Um, I end up rambling a little bit when I'm talking, but, <laughs> no, no, but the no. truth is that like, there's, there's so much, it's, it's hard to, to, to get the message into an, a, a nice, neat little package because it's such a vast universe. There's so many resources. There's so much to be done. Um, which is why I really appreciate people like Jean Bliss, like Ian Golding, like Annette Franz, people who have been able to get that message and put it into a nice little package, whether it's a book or a podcast or a blog. And it says, hey, start here. Absolutely. And then follow on this journey. You know, there are people that they've done it so many times that they've been able to create a method and a process out of it, you know? A hundred percent. And I feel the best people yeah. like you, like Dan and everyone, uh, there is a channel for every, for every type of message that you're trying to send. Like if you want to package it and if you want to make that framework, the blueprint, probably a podcast is not the best way to go about it, right? You want right. to learn about the nuances and, and the thought process, then a podcast is tremendously useful. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you're able to also channel through these different uh, mediums, like all the knowledge that you have and everything, I think that's how 
that's how you evolve as well. Not only personally, but your company, your brand and everything. Uh, same with us at Chattermill, like all these different avenues, a blog, a podcast, uh, the white papers, everything. That's like a specific type of content to a specific type of person, to a specific type of situation. And yeah. hopefully, yeah, we can do that well. And <laughs> that's the goal. Uh, yeah, I mean, Joao, if, I, if I can share one last message with go. Yeah, the listeners go and with everything, it would be that in, in the same way that when we produce content, we have to meet customers where they are, we also have to be able to understand how quickly the market changes. So it's not only in, you know, shifting maybe from ebooks into video format or um, video classes or whether it's now doing podcasts instead of doing other things because that's how people are getting their information. Definitely. We have to extend the same thing to our customers. We have to understand how quickly the market shifts. If there's anything that 2020 has taught us is that change can happen a lot more quickly than we expect. Um, I was watching a interview with Brian Solis, who's a great CX speaker as well. And he was talking about e-commerce and mm -hmm. how during the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, we had 10 years worth of growth in e-commerce over a 90 day period. Now astounding, that's yeah. amazing. And it didn't only happen for e-commerce and retail. It happened for every single aspect of the market and nobody saw it coming. And yeah. at this moment, companies are scrambling so hard with their strategy because most of the time companies are basing their strategic decision-making on past data. But the past data that we have right now is useless because it isn't at all a reflection of the present and the future of consumers anywhere on the globe. 100%, so yeah. keeping your eye on the future and not on the past, and you can do that when collecting uh, voice of customer feedback as well. If you're able to find a way to listen to the customer on a consistent basis, being respectful of their time, being respectful of their feedback, you need to find a way to have your finger on the pulse and constantly be aware of the changes that are happening in their lives because customers see change coming before the company does. Sometimes we're so focused on our internal issues and our processes that we forget to look around us. We forget to look in front of us at what's coming. So and one true. thing for sure is that the customer always knows before we do, and we can ask them. They give us the space to ask them where they're looking, where they're going, where their tendencies are shifting. So that's something that's really important for customer experience. Our job is to provide the companies that we work for with insight of where the customer is going and not on where they've been. Because in the market we live in today, the past doesn't matter. Definitely. It's all about the present and the future. So that's my last bit of feedback for the listeners today. Amazing, Mary, I couldn't agree more. It is a new paradigm and you, you jotted down very specific ways where companies can behave nowadays to, to prepare for it and to, well, to benefit from it, right? Alongside their customers. So. Yeah. I can only say very, like thank you so much for the time, the attention, the depth of insights that you're sharing with us, the recommendations for for me, for the audience, all of us that are <laughs> learning from you. Um, so thank you so much again. Thank you, Jean. Thanks for the opportunity. I, I really, really, truly hope that all of your listeners and your viewers 
um, leave today having gained a little bit more knowledge. If you, if you learned at least one little thing, <laughs> the teacher in me will be <laughs> extremely <laughs> satisfied and happy. A hundred percent. More than one, more than 10. <laughs> thank you awesome. so much. Thank, thank you.